Well, hi there, everybody, and welcome to episode five now of Grit and Gladness, where we are inviting you to jump on in with us as we seek to be happy warriors, as we engage life before the face of God, whether that's at home um, or whatever you do. Um, We want to do all things to the glory of God with uh, a smile on our face, with uh, grit in our soul. And of course, I'm here joined by my lovely wife, Laura, as well. Hello. And last week, um, we, we missed a week. Um, and the reason for that, because there, there is a reason, is we thought it would be wise to, um, to fly directly towards the wildfires. So me and Laura went and we went to Yosemite and we went to Kings Canyon and we went to Sequoia as well. Um, what would you say, Laura, was, what was your favorite part? Well, I think, I think my favorite part would have been Kings Canyon, mm. but we'll have to go back so I can see past the smoky haze. Right. But a funny that happened there was I wanted um, Brooks to take me to the Kings Canyon Lodge to see it. And you have to go down um, a, a long canyon ravine to get there by car. And um, when we got to where it should be on the map, all that was there was an ice cream stand um, in like this trailer. And there were some like porta potties there. And so we get out and we're looking for the lodge, which should be obvious, but we didn't see it. And, of course, there's ash raining down. The sky is orange. It's very smoky. And the guy there that's serving ice cream, we went ahead and ordered, um, answered my question about, well, where's Kings Canyon Lodge? And he said, oh, it burnt down to in 2015. And we were just commenting on how sad that was. And then our next question was, well, do wild wildfires like this come through every year? And his answer was, no, I've not seen it like this since 2015 when the lodge burned down. Right. Oh, <laughs> then the exact place that we're at right so now. Then, so then Brooks suggested we drive deeper into the right. canyon. Just further and, further uh, in. and yeah. we did. We did. We did. If, if you're on my Facebook, um, you can check out a couple of pictures I've posted and I'll keep posting some. Um, but another actually really precious moment for for us for me was at Yosemite um so uh, a big a bit of backstory so in 2017 um when I found out from some dear friends in Nashville Tennessee that Laura even existed I was in Pasadena California at the time um just a couple weeks after we spoke for the first time and I realized man this is this is a live one I think God is actually up to something here I decided to drive up to Yosemite for um, a couple days um, just to really clear my head and to try to pray and and just hear from the Lord um, to get direction there. Um, Laura has endearingly referred to that as my Gethsemane um, time of of exploration. I like to say that this is where Brooks cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, please take this cup from me. And he said, Oh no, you will drink it to the dregs. dregs. Yeah, yeah. And so we're we're making our way through that to the bottom. That's for sure. <laughs> well, a, a funny story from from then. So I, I got there probably about maybe six in the morning and I didn't have any plan at all and as to how I was going to engage Yosemite. Um some people would think that that's wise to have a plan when you're um trying to go to such a massive place and you know, I thought I'd just roll with it. So I um ended up at a place called Glacier Point, which if you've been there, you'll know it's this incredible vista where you get this panoramic view of Half Dome and, and, and part of the valley, and it's just really incredible. And uh, so I'm taking that in, and then I saw a trailhead there. 
and thought, well, man, I guess I'll just start walking on this trail. And I did, and I kept getting deeper in and deeper down, and then I realized this is actually a four-mile trail that goes all the way from the top of Glacier Point down into Yosemite Valley, and it was early, and it was cool, and I was refreshed, and I was up for it. And so I went all the way down deep into Yosemite Valley from this, and then I spent the rest of the day walking around Yosemite Valley, which is... It's not a small feat. It's it's a pretty huge, expansive area up to Yosemite Falls, all over. And I don't know if it was maybe seven or eight years ago, but I tweaked my knee um, at some point, I think, playing tennis, which it never bothers me except for when I do hiking-type things. And so my knee's starting to throb. It's about midday, and I'm thinking, man, it's probably about time I need to get back to my car. And um, so I realized Glacier Point is well, it's four miles up. <laughs> and I asked somebody, okay, so where's, where's the shuttle to go ahead and get back up to my car? Because I'm, I'm about ready. I'm tired. My knee's hurting. And he said, um, there is no shuttle that goes up to Glacier <laughs> Point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's when I realized why most people begin hikes at the bottom and go up and then come back down rather than starting down at the top and going down and then going back up. And so I set my face up towards Glacier Point and that hike back up with my throbbing knee was perhaps, um, and maybe like four ounces of water left, was perhaps maybe the hardest physical feat I've ever accomplished. <laughs> Literally, there was two people along um, on the trail uh, as I was going up who said, uh, are you okay? Uh, are, are you near death? And, and the truth was, I, I was actually. Um, there's a creek along the way that I legitimately desperately needed. Um, but all, all that to say, I, I made it to the top. They had a snack shack there, and I had the most glorious Dr. Pepper in the existence of mankind before I passed out um, in my car. And as God would have it, um, I didn't even know that, that it was Glacier Point that that trail was on. And me and Laura found ourselves at, at Glacier Point again, um, and we were able to... I was able to bring her more fully into that story. Um, we did a little bit of, of the trail. I was able to get a, a few pictures and we were able just to reflect on, um, I don't know, just how beautifully parabolic that has been for our journey. Um, and it was awesome just to share that with you as well, Laura. Um, well, and I'm just over here chuckling because if you've been to Yosemite, you are experiencing the horror of what he's describing and if you haven't been and you go one day you'll know um and then the other thing that makes it just so funny <laughs> is as we approached the top of the trailhead which is where you would have started <laughs> <laughs> i was trying to leave that part <laughs> there are big signs mm -hmm. that say there, stop there, <laughs> make plans plan out your trip and then the other one was like there are no shuttles back right, up to right, glacier blinking. point warning so, warning so <laughs> we could assume that a that sign was there and you didn't see it which makes the story i funny. think they probably put it up in the past year or so <laughs> or b someone reported how miserable you looked right. and then they went quickly and <laughs> And posted the sign for people oh like you. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yes, that that was pretty funny. It, it is pretty 
unbelievably clearly marked about what you're about to <laughs> undertake. Um, yeah, um, that that is why my, my marriage counseling professor, and this is true, um, said that bachelors die younger than married men. And now I, that's part of the reason why. Um, anyways, shall we jump into our book study for this week? Yes. Okay, why don't you kick us off here, Laura? Well, the ladies and I got together while we were in California, and um, when we did, we're meeting via Zoom three three weeks out of the month, and when we did, um, the author of our book took us through, um, just in case you're just catching up with us, we're studying a book called The Excellent Wife by Martha Peace. It was written in the 90s, um, and it's just pretty timeless biblical wisdom for um, living out Um, Proverbs 31 Mm -hmm. and chapter 5 was understanding uh, a wife's understanding of marriage and God's purpose in it and um, talking about how the goal for marriage is unity and oneness kind of like we talked about when we looked at the model of the Trinity and you know we we won't ever get there perfectly and so she helped the ladies um, in this chapter talk through what struggling with one another together, when I say with, I mean together Mm -hmm. with one another towards the goal of oneness um, can look like. And so four things, um, and in the Christian life generally, we talk about this as being the path of sanctification. Yeah, It's progressive. You're not going to arrive until you are in glory, Um, but you should always be on a journey of expanding your Christ likeness mm-hmm. and in marriage we get an opportunity to do that together and to do it in really really close community yes. yeah. <laughs> um, and so she uh, laid out for the ladies four things to keep in mind um, four ways of achieving the goal of oneness and spiritual growth in marriage and um, I keep going back to this with our our group just to keep it ever before them that number one, um, they need to be making marriage. We we need to be making marriage a matter of faithful prayer. The enemy is prowling around seeking to destroy um, Christians, but also Christian marriages, Christian Mm -hmm. families. And so we need to be prayerful um, and in tune with the Lord so that we know uh, we can see ourselves rightly and see our partner rightly. And then the second one is to commit to a biblical course of action. Um, if you don't know what the Bible teaches about how to live your life, then it's going to m- complicate things. So yes. I just encouraged from that, um, from that step that the author gives, I encourage the ladies to be in the Bible somewhere, mm-hmm. um, to be studying God's Word diligently so that they do have... Um, some answers to that. How, how do we even live this thing out mm-hmm. question? Yeah. Um, and then thirdly, Oh, go ahead. I know, um, that BSF was huge for you. Bible study fellowship. And that's about the relaunch. Is, is that something that if even ladies who are listening now, can they still jump into that? Yes, actually I sent that on a, on an email, um, the link to sign up, find a class in their area. There should be one in your near neighborhood. Mm-hmm. There are probably, I can think of, three or four in the Nashville area. Um, and they're going to be via Zoom right now, right? So they are meeting okay. via Zoom. Um, they do have homeschool curriculum. Okay. They have um, pr- children's programming for birth through fi- through five-year-olds. 
at some of the classes and then the other classes for men and women hmm. um, have school-aged children curriculum. So let's say you're a homeschool family and everybody is kind of floundering in their Bible study. Dad, mom, kids can all go through the BSF program and study nine months of the book of Genesis and all be studying the same thing. So that would enhance and enrich your, your dinner table talk. You know, just everybody's doing the same yeah, thing. Yeah, okay, great. So that is an idea that I shared with them. Um, so we talked through just practically maybe where to start with that or to re-up on it. Mm-hmm. If you've just kind of fallen off the wagon or gotten stale, that happens. Yeah. Um, thirdly, uh, in this journey towards sanctification, um, the author encouraged us to take personal responsibility for our own failures and repent. Um, you know, all too often we fall into in marriage, you did this, so I'm going to do that. So, you know, just back and forth. And before we realize it, we've become that foolish woman. And um, I think it's Proverbs that says that we're tearing our own house down. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone starts out in <laughs> marriage life with that intention but all too often that is where we end up. Right, right. So taking responsibility for your own failures and repenting, um, you know, that's huge. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you can see yourself rightly if you're not doing steps one and two. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then step four, and this is a little bit of a bigger topic. So if you have questions, you can slow me down or stop me. But um, the fourth one was to participate in the process of mutual sanctification. And that is um, where we spent the bulk of our discussion, which is where the husband has to come to the wife and say, I see this in your life, and here's what I'd like for you to make changes. I feel like this is a sin pattern. Mm -hmm. Or the wife has to be courageous and also do that for him. So um, some things that the author encouraged us with in when we are the recipients of (laughs) someone calling our sin out um, are some passages from Proverbs. And I'd like to just read through these because I think, I think sometimes we don't even know that this is buried in that. (laughs) Um, But it is very wise from Proverbs 15, five, it says a fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is prudent. Proverbs thirteen eighteen says, Poverty and shame will come to him who neglects discipline, but he who regards reproof will be honored. Mm-hmm. Proverbs fifteen thirty one says, He whose ear listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. And then finally, Proverbs fifteen thirty two says, He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I a couple things struck me about that. One, it goes back to this idea, which I even talked about um, in the men's group, of, of telos. God created everything with a purpose, and he created marriage with a purpose. And one of the purposes of marriage is to sanctify us. And often we get tangled up in marriage, and, and, and we'd say it would be so easy if it if if it doesn't if it just wasn't for this one thing that's frustrating about the other person or that it brings out in me and what's true is far from that being a design flaw of the marriage that's actually part of the reason the marriage exists is to make us more holy 
And if we realize that from the outset of why God even created the thing, it was to make sinners more holy. Um, and so we're actually able to, it's not that, of course, we still have conflict, but we can have the wisdom to know this is purposeful and the humility to say, what did I bring to the table here? Rather than just um, be defensive because we know from the outset, yeah, this is part of the process of the thing. Um, and so I was just struck by that even as you're, as you're talking. Um, and, and also the, the first point about praying for our marriage. Um, also, man, it is so powerful when we humbly ask our spouse to pray for us and recognize a, a weakness we have. And rather than being quick to defend ourselves or, or justify ourselves, um, saying, man, will you pray for me here? I, I really am struggling. And that just creates a really beautiful, humble culture of being for each other, not being adversaries, but being teammates and cheerleaders for the other. So again, just some things I, I was thinking as you were talking. Yeah, and um, one thing that the author lays out for the women or the the wives is how to know if you are receiving reproof sinfully. Hmm. But I don't think that's a wife problem only. <laughs> <laughs> I think that all people everywhere can. We even talked about in small group this week how even saying to someone, I forgive you, can offend them right. because they're like, what the heck? For, right. Forgive me. It couldn't have been I'm, that big of a deal. Right, and I'm not even admitting that it was sin. So right. there's that. You know, so um, just I would want the husbands to know this has been laid before your wives, but you also need to be checking yourself because she was encouraged to bring things to you this week. And so if that happens, um, some tips that the author gave was um, if you become angry and lash out, Mm -hmm. if you feel hurt, resentful, resentful and unforgiving, if you focus on the things that she is doing wrong, mm-hmm. um, if you suffer intense personal hurt, then you have reacted sinfully to re- re- the re- being the recipient of reproof. And um, something that she talked about was not adding, like not layering sin upon sin, mm-hmm. not getting so cluttered yeah. here. Um, even if you need a minute, take a minute, but not just reacting and, and that kind of thing. So I did just want to yeah. lay that before them. Um, and then finally, um, we did go through some guidelines for when a wife needs to be create courageous and um, call out sin and her husband. And I think Probably there are some homes where the wife does this too much. and um, But there are also some homes where the wife either is reluctant or outright refuses Mm -hmm. to do this. Mm -hmm. And um, that is not her fulfilling her role as your helper. And it's not being a godly wife to, to refuse. Like if there's pornography going on in your home, even if it's like on the soft side of that, You've got to be courageous. Mm-hmm. Um, you you have to be his helper in that way. Mm-hmm. And so some guidelines um, for reproving your husband um, are choosing the right time, choosing the right wording, being comforting as you correct, 
being specific and mm-hmm. not vague and yeah. offering biblical solutions. And then finally, communicating a spirit of unconditional love. Um, and one thing I would want the men to know is if you've created an environment in your home where no time is ever the right time to tell <laughs> to you anything, yeah. um, then there's something really yeah. unchristian going on in your home. Proud. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's it's going to suck the life mm-hmm. out of really what the purpose of the marriage yeah, is. Yeah, and I, I really, really appreciate you putting a highlighter on that because that, that dovetails really nicely with something that is just a, a passion for me to, to put before men. I, pr- I maybe have even spoken about it here before, but it's it's the idea of a- apologizing less and repenting more mm. and setting the, as a man, part of spiritual leadership is setting a culture and leading out with when you have um, sinned against your wife or against the kids, don't just brush it off or don't just justify it because you're tired or it's been a long day at work. That might be true, but be a man and own it and mm-hmm. say, I sinned against you in this way earlier. And um, I, I repent of that and, I, and I, need, I need you to forgive me. And that is a powerful cultural setting moment. And then you're, you're also... Not only will those under your leadership feel the freedom to do that then without being crushed because they know you have humility in you, um, but it makes these types of conversations easier to have when we need to bring sin to the other humbly um, because we already use that language. And, and, it, and by using that, we're agreeing up front that we are living together before the face of God. And ultimately, we when we sin, we sin against God and then against each other. But we we all do that, and we all also because the gospel have the freedom to do that because there isn't condemnation in Christ. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Um, and so, um, yeah, just I really really appreciate that. Well, in our um, chapter this week, we were in in chapter six um, in the book, The Father Hunger, or Father Hunger by Doug Wilson, and um, this chapter was called The Education Axle, and the big idea of the chapter um, centered around Ephesians 6.4, which says this, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, And, and that one of the Greek words there um, is is the word padea. So fathers are to bring their children up in a Christian padea. And really the, the English translation there doesn't do justice to what the calling is. It's really just the tip of the iceberg, but it's underneath the water that we see the fullness of what the call is there. And we talked about how really what we're called to as men is to thoroughly enculturate our children as Christians, give them a, a thoroughly Christian worldview. Um, in, in the Roman time, um, the padea was the process of making a child a thoroughly Christ, um, Roman citizen, rather, where they spoke like a, a, a Roman, they understood their history, they understood their values. Um, so as fathers, it's not that we're just called to make sure they go to Sunday school for an hour a week. It's that all of their our children's lives is meant to be lived within a Christian worldview. Um, something that Wilson says that I think is really powerful. He said, um, just as you cannot have tank warfare without tanks or naval warfare without ships, so you cannot have culture war 
without a culture. And I think what's, what's often true is it's easy for Christians to critique the current culture, the culture that we live in. But if there was no other culture and we were to build it from the ground up, we really wouldn't know how to build a Christian culture. We can shake our finger when we watch cable news at how bad things are or whatever. But how are we doing? Like, what is our culture? How are we different than the world? Um, yeah, well, one thing that that brings to mind, Brooks, is when I was preparing to become a like a seventh grade group leader at a church that we were attending, um, they gave us the statistic that the average student that we would encounter in that group every Sunday um, would only get about 40 hours a year hmm. of Bible instruction through our class because, you know, you miss for certain things, you're sick or on vacation or whatever. So if they came to your class 40 times out of 52 weeks, mm-hmm then essentially that um, child that's being educated in a secular system other than when they're brought to church gets about 40 hours of Bible instruction yeah. a year. Yeah. And it's pretty staggering. Yeah, yeah. And not surprising why they're not being taught in the ways of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a function of quantity that matters sure. in that system. Sure. Sure, and, and it's not that Sunday school is wrong. What, what what this verse isn't saying is that fathers need to do all that instruction all the time. Right. It's rather, as the Lord of their land, they're to make sure that their children are being instructed, partially by them, and then putting them in good Bible teaching environments um, and engaging them um, from a Christian worldview. Um, so we, h- how do we do this? I mean, this feels like such a daunting, a daunting task. So where where do we begin? And and um, we talked about it from this perspective. We talked about how, how as fathers, the, we need to recognize that there are two primary books of revelation that God has given us so that we can understand more about who he is and the created world. And, and the, the, the two are the general revelation, which is creation, and special revelation, which is scripture. And to inculcate them with a Christian worldview, we need to be um, constantly pointing back to God when we see things in the created world. So, uh, for instance, thinking through the lens of general revelation, we teach our kids that not only is there a created world, but God created everything. I mean, we we do this even by singing the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. So that's a, a really good start. Um, Psalm 104, 24, oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you made them all. So as fathers, we are know that there is a creator, and we teach our, our kids that there is a creator. But not just that, also that God is a wise creator, that he gre- created the world with wisdom. And there was two, two words we talked about in, in this context. I already talked about one of them, but it's, it's logos and telos. And the Greek word logos means that there is a great wisdom, a great mind, behind the entire created world. That's kind of the 30,000 foot view. And then telos is zooming in and each thing um, is a peculiar glory of God that has a specific purpose. Um, That's what's so amazing about John 1. It says, in the beginning was the logos. There was a great brilliance, a great cohesion behind the created world, which, which the Greeks would 
gladly have acknowledged. That's what John is appealing to. Yes, there is a Logos, um, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. Okay, that's a little bit curious. And then John 1.14 is the mind-blowing moment where, and the Word became flesh, the Logos, the great intelligence behind creation. He actually became a man. So um, that's just incredible. That's free, but I, I digress a little bit there. Um, and so something we talked about is, is the importance of whenever we see something glorious in the world, which once we get the lens on, we see it everywhere, we're constantly amazed at that as a father, and we're pointing our children to the glory of God in all things. Like, can you believe this sunset that he did it again, that God is painting this sunset? This didn't just happen. And you can, can you believe that when you look outside right now on the front lawn, there's 10,000 little mini narratives of creatures and of progeny and propagation and all of this. Like, can you believe that God is this creative and this wonderful and this beautiful? And so it's such a good, a good lens to, to, to have on. And also to, to remind our kids that whenever they go to school or whenever they have an interesting insight, that they're really, in essence, on a divine scavenger hunt. God has tasked us with now taking dominion of his creation and understanding it. Um, I love this, this uh, text from Proverbs, Proverbs 25, 2. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but it's the glory of kings to search them out. And so speaking this over our children, that they are kings and queens of creation, thinking God's thoughts after him on a scavenger hunt to figure out how in the world did God create this amazing, majestic creation that we are caught up in. Um, And of course, I couldn't Uh, have this conversation without going to one of my favorite quotes of all time by G.K. Chesterton. When I read this quote, this really was the the lens that God gave me to see the world in this way. um, It just impacted me hugely. He says this from the book Orthodoxy. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. (laughs) For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that God has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we are. And that, oh, that's just such a wonderful exhortation to let's not lose our childlike wonder at all things. Kids have it naturally because they haven't become so tainted and cynical by a fallen world. But what if we purpose to never lose that wonder as fathers? We're constantly amazed that alligators exist and that rhinoceroses exist and that somehow little seeds create these bizarre things that sprout out of the world that have fruit dangling from them. Like that's 
wild to me. And, and that's for me, the glory of GK Chesterton is he never got over that. If you want to dip your toe into Chesterton, read him a chapter from orthodoxy called the ethics of Elfland. And man, he would just put some steroids into your soul as to the, the glory of creation and, and the wild wonder world that we are caught up in. Um, it made me think of Laura when we were um, uh, at the airport and, and there was this grandma and, and, and God bless her. She, she was had two grandchildren with her. She was trying to get them through the airport to their gate and was doing an admirable job. And, and they were going down the escalator and <laughs> the little girl, she's got one in each hand. She's trying to drag them along. The little girl starts to go, wee. And the grandma said, shh, and, and in that moment, I just thought, no, like, Rather than shushing that, we should be saying we Mm -hmm. with her. Um, Yeah, Yeah, it kind of reminded me too, and this is, um, I appreciate Brooke so much for um, taking us into the classroom and the the theater that G.K. Chesterton laid out for us there. Um, But in our home, practically, this happened yesterday, um, around the table we usually try to give everybody an opportunity to share Um, we call it high, low, ha, so something good, something bad, something funny, and then we've added ha-ha, which is, oh yeah, we did ha, and then aha, which is I've learned something, or huh, which is a question, and (laughs) so um, some people, we have to limit their words, but we won't name any names. No, we won't name names. Um, But yesterday, I was able to share with um, our family and op- and uh, something that happened to me when I went to the doctor, um, I went to see a vein specialist yesterday, and I don't know if he's a Christian, but just the way that he explained um, the wonder of the way that uh, that system worked, it, at least in my mind, made me think like you're explaining. Mm. He said, mm. it's very understandable that when the heart pumps blood, that that blood with gravity's help and the heart's help can go to the big toe. But what we cannot really understand is how it returns from the big toe back to the heart, <laughs> defying gravity all the way to the body through these tiny valves. That's the miracle. Mm. And, um, mm. and then he went on to say, we know that the valves are there. We know that the valves are the reason but we are unable now with our modern technology to replicate that valve and actually make that happen for the vein. And every time we've tried, we've failed. And I just thought that is such a, um, a, a really a Christian worldview way of describing the good design of the body, the um, technology that still needs to be advanced or the medical um, advancements that man still has to discover. Yeah, some king needs to go and seek that out. Right, yeah. <laughs> on how to how to do that artificially. And, um, and so anyway, I just felt like I had this moment of exactly that, of just God's good design piercing through even just a very mundane moment in my mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Yeah, and it makes me think too, and I shared this with my, my guys, um, back um, when I would be at my grandpa's house, um, he would do a devotional with us, and he uh, almost always—I um, always remember this—had part of the devotional was a little tidbit about nature, um, and he just. Uh, 
always wove that into he would read scripture and we'd have a devotional but then we have to now look at the glory of the creation and i thought that was such a clever way to have those two part here are the two books of god's revelation this is what christians how they think and i just encourage um, you men um let let us never get over the glory of creation let's pray to see the fingerprints of the creator everywhere and let us point our children back to that ultimate source over and over again so general revelation that's one book of, of god's revelation but the other is is special revelation because what's true is you can be awestruck by creation and not be a christian at all have nothing to do with jesus have no sense of your need for redemption and forgiveness and so that's wonderful but it's certainly not enough we need special revelation um and this might help you guys think through the idea of worldview what is a worldview and every single worldview has four parts to it the first one is creation it's some sort of explanation as to how in the world we got here. The second one is fall. What's essentially wrong with the world? The third one is redemption. What is the gospel, the good news for righting that wrong that we have? And then the fourth is restoration. Well, then what does life now look in light of that? Um, and so special or general revelation gives us creation, but we need special revelation to make sense of the rest of it. Um, and, and, and just to give a quick, quick example of how every person has a worldview with these four parts, um, I was just struck by this, uh, tweet by the United Nations that, that I shared with the guys in, in, in the group. So this is from the United Nations. They said this, the COVID-19 pandemic is demonstrating what we all know. Millennia of patriarchy have resulted in a male-dominated world with a male-dominated culture, which damages everyone, women, men, girls, and boys. <laughs> so I, <laughs> there are so many things there that make my, my head spin, but it, it shows how even the, the United Nations collectively has a worldview that they start to then see everywhere. I don't even have any idea how COVID-19 somehow proves that, let alone to what everybody claims to already know as given. But the United Nations thinks it's, it's self-evident that, um, well, we, we, we probably came from an evolutionary background, which means somehow nothing burped something into existence that decided to self-organize. That's a massive faith claim. And here they would say the fall, the 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 main issue is patriarchy or is male headship or a, a perhaps a biblical worldview of male and female um, and the purpose and the telos of God creating them male and female. Um, and so the, um, the, the great gospel then would be the liberation of any gender stereotypes or, or any, any sense that men ought to lead their homes and their families um, and women should come alongside them as a helper. Um, so that was just such a poignant um, point to that we're talking about COVID-19 and this is the United Nations. I don't know how they're an expertise on any of these things, but how they couldn't help but seeing that through the lens of their worldview, our worldview um, impacts the way we see everything. And as Christians and as fathers, 
we need two things concerning special revelation. We need a knowledge of the scriptures. We can't give what we don't have. But not just that, we need to have total confidence in the scriptures. This is one of the greatest gifts you can give to your great-great-grandchild, is a settled sense that scripture is the word of God. I am a man. He is God. So, of course, I submit to it. Once the exegesis of a text is done and it's rightly interpreted, whatever it says, I love because it's from God and it's good, true, and beautiful. And I, I would say this uh, to all the men that are listening. You have to settle this in your mind now. We are caught up in the midst of a secular tsunami that thinks the word of God by definition is bigoted and hateful, which of course is not true at all. <laughs> um, and so if, if you're waiting for general opinion um, to affirm scripture, or if you're like, Ugh, there are some things that I... Um, don't agree with, you're in a precarious situation and you will be swept upstream very quickly. I'm not saying we have to understand everything. God even says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts and there are things that you won't understand. That's fine. But if he said it, it's true. And I just encourage you, we need men who have a settled sense that the word of God, of course, is true and it doesn't need to be qualified. It's it's the word of God. Um, Romans 3, 3 through 4. It says, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? I'm sorry. Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So even if the entire world becomes liars, God will always remain true. Um, in Isaiah somewhere, it the Lord says, this is the one to whom I will look. Okay, so whenever God says he's going to incline to us, we should be very eager to know whom he will look to. He says, him who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And we need more men who tremble at the word of God, who trust the word of God. Um, that is one of the best gifts you can give to your children. Um a wise father also not only instructs his children in the word, but he also knows the false catechisms that your child is hearing from the world and proactively addresses them. So this is another way. How are we fighting the worldview battle? Not only are we giving them a Christian worldview, but we also understand how the world means to catechize them. I already gave one example from um, that United Nations tweet. But our kids are constantly being catechized by the world. The world is constantly giving them a worldview that they want them to believe and absorb and live in light of. There is no worldview neutral media everywhere. There is no worldview neutral movie anywhere. And so as fathers, we must know what media is being consumed in our house and be able to um, intelligently engage that. Um, one example I, I gave where, where I, I saw these catechisms at work between what God says and what the world says in our home is, um, of course, our, our children love Disney and love all the songs. And um, one of our daughters, we were driving and she was, it was just me and her. 
and she was belting out that new song from Aladdin, the um, I Won't Be Silent song, um, where it's it's the kind of I am woman, hear me roar moment for, what, it's the princess, right? Jasmine. Yeah, for Princess Jasmine. That wasn't in the original, of course. It's in it's in the new one. Um, and I realized she is reciting a catechism right now. It is something she's memorized. It's something she is passionate about and she is singing. And it is jam-packed with worldview implications. And if we go to 1 Peter 3 about what God says he thinks is beautiful, it is going to be very different with what my daughter is proclaiming right now. And so as a father, that doesn't mean that I immediately get awkward and shut the radio off and we can't. No, that's not what we do. But we ask thoughtful questions. What is that song about? Why do you think she feels the need to say what she's saying? What does the word of God say? about this and thoughtfully engaging our our children. One thing I love about the end result of that discussion, that particular discussion, was that it helped us really talk about who really was wrong in that story and who really was needing to be the hero. Um, wasn't ultimately Jasmine that was wrong. It wasn't really ultimately Aladdin that was wrong. It was ultimately the Sultan, her father. Mm-hmm. Right. His cowardice, his silence, his passivity put the entire country in peril. peril. Yeah. And it also put Jasmine in a position where that was the way she reacted and responded. And the, the live action one plays on this more, which we think that, I won't say we, I think that a lot of the live action ones that they've come out with are baptized more in feminism. If you watch we. that. <laughs> okay, we believe that. Um But the reason that she is, even in her humanity, feeling the need to to do that is really out of out of a fearful reaction Mm -hmm. that the person who is supposed to be protecting their nation and their family and their legacy and this um, this handing down of the reins of the country is he's failing in so many ways. And so just keep that in mind. Um, as you're navigating your household. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And just to give two other quick, quick examples, um, because it, I think it really is important to be aware of of what's art. I almost said coming. I mean, it's it's we're in the middle of the war right now. Um, Pixar has come out with their first openly gay short film. Um, I think it's called I think it's called Out. Um, it's right turn on Disney Plus. It's going to be right Could there. Be open. Open, uh, open or out? Yeah. Um, and so it's turn on Disney Plus, it'll be front and center, shiny, inviting for the kids. Um, and our 10-year-old is already, ask, we're having to have conversations about sexual identity, about gender identity, about sexual orientation with our 10-year-old. Um, we had this moment where one of her favorite actresses um, came out as gay. And so she asked us, so when, does, when do they start to change? And, and we didn't know what she was talking about. And then we realize, oh, she thinks that because of all the tra- transgender stuff she's learning about or hearing about, then if you are gay, then you become a, a boy then. And it's and it's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking that she, as a 10-year-old, she's having to work through these things and we're having to engage them. Well, and what I love about that thought process, too, is for a child that's been raised in a Christian home, they have been raised with automatic necessities. Like, if you're a boy, then you're a boy. It's automatic, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so for her, it's like, okay, if you are gay, then 
you also then change genders like it's automatic but what's interesting about it is and what she's not yet learned from culture but will mm -hmm. is that all of that is steeped in personal choice right so there's this other tenet because that's the gospel right there's this other tenet of the worldview that she'll have to learn and she will they'll make sure she knows it um is that it's all hinges on your feelings and your personal choice right not on objective truth or objective reality or, or tell us right. god created me with a purpose right right yeah, and so we need to be ready to proactively have these conversations and not just reactively um, be knocked back on our heels because they're already here. Um, and so we, we need to do our due diligence to learn, to know how, how do you thoughtfully engage a 10-year-old in this way. Um, so one other one with, with, with our son, we took him, or Laura, and took her and him and some friends to a John Christ concert or whatever you call that um last year and interestingly it was john christ's final one <laughs> <laughs> because the day after they got back from the concert it came out that he had um done some some pretty bad things um he had sinned against um some females in some significant ways and he came out about that and so he he stepped away and so we had to bring our son in and to bring this before him and talk through that but what was interesting to me is when John Chris came back on the scene, his first video out, um, he was talking about, you know, how thankful he is for the support, which is all fine and all that. But he was saying how he needed to go on a healing journey and he needed to go to rehab for his personal healing and his mental health and his healing and how he had done some some hurtful things to others, but to himself as well. And just thank you for sticking by my side as I've been healing. And what is lacking from that? Well, it's a Christian worldview that would say, no, the primary issue here is you sinned and you need to repent and not self-justify. But that's not what you heard at all. And what's interesting is he makes a living on making fun of Christian caricatures. And he was a Christian caricature in that moment. Yeah, and I would, in case you think that Brooks is interpreting that too harshly, you should just go watch it. It's just kind of laughable. I mean, it's almost like one of his parodies, only it's not, he's not intending to be funny. It, it's just sad. And then I think what we see all too often is we turn what we should call sin and should turn in repentance for into... Um, just mistakes and or, or or I'm primarily a victim not primarily a sinner in need of forgiveness right and then and then victim be, become the victim and then you are the you know it's just all very unbiblical and yeah, yeah. frustrating <laughs> yeah and so we're we're in the thick of it um, I know even some people would probably be offended in the uh, as to the way I've approached everything right now. And that's part of the problem as well, is we can't speak, people are afraid to speak frankly about this because it'll hurt people's feelings. Well, our children are getting 10,000 megaphones screaming anti-biblical messages often. And so we need to boldly, winsomely explain to them, no, this is what God has said. And God is always true. And God is always right. Um, so... Yes, men, um, let's have it settled that God is true. Let's know his word. Um, and I would just encourage you, um, if this feels kind of overwhelming, uh, maybe this is the first time you're thinking in these terms, how in the world do I start? Um, 
thinking in terms of worldview, how do I instruct my kids? Um, first is start today. Um, ask the Lord for help. Um, redeem your commutes. Listen to good biblical podcasts on, on your commute. We, we love Ask Pastor John. There is the briefing by Al Mohler. Um, but find creative ways to understand what's going on. Um, get in a, a, a Bible study with godly men who are serious about pursuing the word, about holding each other accountable, about repenting often. Um, yeah, so we're in this together. Um, and I just want to encourage you that you really can do what the Lord has called you to do. He's called fathers to um, give our children a Christian padea, a Christian worldview, because we can do that. He's given us the ability to do so. So you're certainly not alone in that. Um, yeah, and just one other thing that I would encourage a young couple to do with, you know, kids that are five, six, seven, eight, um, get a mentor couple with teenage children or kids that have just left the nest um, so that as these things come up you guys can have a phone call or coffee or whatever and talk through how you're going to engage your child um, because yeah. it's constant I mean it's a constant right. discussion and then I, the other thing is just keep your kids talking mm -hmm. uh, just ask them questions and um, use dinner time as an opportunity to unwind and unpack the day. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like you just said, ask them to think. Um, so we listen to a song. Okay. Let's talk. What was that song about? So, so often we can say, Ooh, it had a bad word in it. Therefore the song's bad. I would much rather have a, a good song with a good message and a bad word than no bad words and a terrible message. <laughs> so let's not just be scared of four-letter words, but let's have our children think what is being proclaimed here. Um, there are some Ozzy Osbourne songs that are deeply theologically insightful. <laughs> so it's not just because Ozzy Osbourne's on the radio, am I scared? It's what is he talking about? What is he talking about about the human condition? What is the gospel for him? Um, let's not just be scared of, of these things. So um, we're in the thick of it with you. Um, we're fighting the good fight and want to encourage you to, to keep keep fighting. Um, okay, I think we've gone long enough. Um, also, me and my wife would be glad if you want some more recommendations on resources um, or even you want to just chat about some specific things you're facing. We'd love to do that. You, you can always um, email me. Um, okay, well... Thank you for um, being with us for this space. Um, we hope that it is encouraging. We hope that God is glorified in this. Um, and I'll, I'll pray for us. Oh, Heavenly Father, um, we thank you that you have given us your word. Um, it is a lamp into our feet. It is a light into our path. We thank you for this unbelievably glorious creation that you have created and, and not only do we dwell in it, but we get to participate in it and, and contribute to the glory of it all. Amazing. Father, I pray for those who are listening in. I pray that they would know if they are in Christ, if they have placed their faith in the life, death, and res uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are smiling upon them. You are for them. You know our frame. You remember that we're dust. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
Um, and I pray that they would feel spurred on now to love and good works. I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom for the days really are evil. Um, I pray, Lord, that um, you would be pleased um, to plant oaks of righteousness in our land, in our times. Um, people that desire to please God and not please Babylon. So help us. Um, it's not easy, um, but we know you're with us. We know that we have your Holy Spirit who is not just a comforter, but he is our helper. He is the spirit of truth and he will lead us into all truth. And so I, I, I pray a blessing over all the households who are, who are represented and within earshot of this podcast. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks once again. And as I've said before, our outro and intro music was provided by our dear friends, the Lockwoods. They are wonderful. Um, check them out on Spotify, the Lockwoods. God bless. Sweet, 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 sweet will be the